Chapter 9 of The Sovereignty of God. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Sovereignty of God by Arthur Pink. Chapter 9 God's Sovereignty and Prayer. If we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. 1 John 5 14. Throughout this book, it has been our chief aim to exalt the Creator and abase the creature. The well-nigh universal tendency now is to magnify man in dishonor and degrade God. On every hand, it will be found that, when spiritual things are under discussion, the human side and element is pressed and stressed, and the divine side, if not altogether ignored, is relegated to the background. This holds true of very much of the modern teaching about prayer. In the great majority of the books written and in the sermons preached upon prayer, the human element fills the scene almost entirely. It is the conditions which we must meet, the promises we must claim, the things we must do in order to get our request granted, and God's claims, God's rights, God's glory are disregarded. As a fair example of what is being given out today, we subjoin in a brief editorial which appeared recently in one of the leading religious weeklies entitled Prayer or Faith. God, in His sovereignty, has ordained that human destinies may be changed and molded by the will of man. This is at the heart of the truth that prayer changes things, meaning that God changes things when men pray. Someone has strikingly expressed it this way, There are certain things that will happen in a man's life whether he prays or not. There are other things that will happen if he prays, and will not happen if he does not pray. A Christian worker was impressed by these sentences as he entered a business office, and he prayed that the Lord would open the way to speak to someone about Christ, reflecting that things would be changed because he prayed. Then his mind turned to other things, and the prayer was forgotten. The opportunity came to speak to the businessman upon whom he was calling, but he did not grasp it, and was on his way out when he remembered his prayer of half an hour before, and God's answer. He promptly returned and had a talk with the businessman, who, though a church member, had never in his life been asked whether he was saved. Let us give ourselves to prayer and open the way for God to change things. Let us beware lest we become virtual fatalists by failing to exercise our God-given wills in praying. The above illustrates what is being taught on the subject of prayer, and the deplorable thing is that scarcely a voice is lifted in protest. To say that human destinies may be changed and molded by the will of man is rank infidelity. That is the only proper term for it. Should anyone challenge this classification, we would ask them whether they can find an infidel anywhere who would dissent from such a statement, and we are confident that such a one could not be found. To say that God has ordained that human destinies may be changed and molded by the will of man is absolutely untrue. Human destiny is not by the will of man, but by the will of God. That which determines human destiny is whether or not a man has been born again. For it is written, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And as to whose will, whether God's or man's, is responsible for the new birth is settled, unequivocally, by John 1.13, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To say that human destiny may be changed by the will of man is to make the creature's will supreme, and that is virtually to dethrone God. But what saith the scriptures? Let the book answer. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. 
he raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifted up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory first samuel two six through eight turning back to the editorial here under review we are next told this is at the heart of the truth that prayer changes things meaning that god changes things when men pray almost everywhere we go today one becomes across a motto card bearing the inscription prayer changes things as to what those words are designed to signify is evident from the current literature on prayer we are to persuade god to change his purpose concerning this we shall have more to say below again the editor tells us someone has strikingly expressed it this way there are certain things that will happen in a man's life whether he prays or not there are other things that will happen if he prays and will not happen if he does not pray that things happen whether a man prays or not is exemplified daily in the lives of the unregenerate most of whom never pray at all the other things will happen if he prays is in need of qualification if a believer prays in faith and asks for those things which are according to god's will he will most certainly obtain that for which he has asked again that other things will happen if he prays is also true in respect to the subjective benefits derived from prayer god will become more real to him and his promises more precious the other things will not happen if he does not pray is true so far as his own life is concerned a prayerless life means a life lived out of communion with god and all that is involved by this but to affirm that god will not and cannot bring to pass his eternal purpose unless we pray is utterly erroneous for the same god who has decreed the end has also decreed that his end shall be reached through his appointed means and one of these is prayer the god who has determined to grant a blessing also gives a spirit of supplication which first seeks the blessing the example cited in the above editorial of the christian worker and the businessman is a very unhappy one to say the least for according to the terms of the illustration the christian worker's prayer was not answered by god at all inasmuch as apparently the way was not open to speak to the businessman about his soul but on leaving the office and recalling his prayer the christian worker perhaps in the energy of the flesh determined to answer the prayer for himself and instead of leaving the lord to open a way for him took matters into his own hand we quote next from one of the latest books issued on prayer in it the author says the possibilities and necessity of prayer its power and results are manifested in arresting and changing the purposes of god and in relieving the stroke of his power such an assertion as this is a horrible reflection upon the character of the most high god who doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say unto him what doest thou daniel four thirty five there is no need whatever for god to change his designs or alter his purpose for the all-sufficient reason that these were framed under the influence of perfect goodness and unerring wisdom men may have occasion to alter their purposes for in their short-sightedness they are frequently unable to anticipate what may arise after their plans are formed but not so with god for he knows the end from the beginning to affirm god changes his purpose is either to impugn his goodness or to deny his eternal wisdom in the same book we are told the prayers of god's saints are the capital stock in heaven by which christ carries on his great work upon earth the great throes and mighty convulsions on earth are the results of these prayers earth is changed revolutionized 
angels move on more powerful more rapid wing and god's policy is shaped as the prayers are more numerous more efficient if possible this is even worse and we have no hesitation in denominating it as blasphemy in the first place it flatly denies ephesians three eleven which speaks of god's having an eternal purpose if god's purpose is an eternal one then his policy is not being shaped today in the second place it contradicts ephesians one eleven which expressly declares that god worketh all things after the counsel of his own will therefore it follows that god's policy is not being shaped by man's prayers in the third place such a statement as the above makes the will of the creature supreme for if our prayers shape god's policy then is the most high subordinate to the worms of the earth well might the holy spirit ask through the apostle for who hath known the mind of the lord or who hath been his counsellor romans eleven thirty four such thoughts on prayer as we have been citing are due to low and inadequate conceptions of god himself it ought to be apparent that there could be little or no comfort in praying to a god that was like the chameleon which changes its color every day what encouragement is there to lift up our hearts to the one who is in one mind yesterday and another today what would be the use of petitioning an earthly monarch if we knew he was so mutable as to grant a petition one day and deny another is it not the very unchangeableness of god which is our greatest encouragement to pray it is because he is without variableness or shadow of turning we are assured that if we ask anything according to his will we are most certain of being heard well did luther remark prayer is not overcoming god's reluctance but laying hold of his willingness and this leads us to offer a few remarks concerning the design of prayer why has god appointed that we should pray the vast majority of people would reply in order that we may obtain from god the things which we need while this is one of the purposes of prayer it is by no means the chief one moreover it considers prayer only from the human side and prayer sadly needs to be reviewed from the divine side let us look then at some of the reasons why god has bidden us to pray first and foremost prayer has been appointed that the lord god himself should be honored god requires that we should recognize that he is indeed the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity isaiah fifty seven fifteen god requires that we shall own his universal dominion in petitioning god for rain elijah did but confess his control over the elements in praying to god to deliver a poor sinner from the wrath to come we acknowledge that salvation is of the lord jonah two nine in supplicating his blessing on the gospel unto the uttermost parts of the earth we declare his rulership over the whole world again god requires that we shall worship him and prayer real prayer is an act of worship prayer is an act of worship inasmuch as it is the prostrating of a soul before him inasmuch as it is calling upon his great and holy name inasmuch as it is the owning of his goodness his power his immutability his grace and inasmuch as it is the recognition of his sovereignty owned by a submission to his will it is highly significant to notice in this connection that the temple wasn't termed by christ the house of sacrifice but instead the house of prayer again prayer redounds to god's glory for in prayer we do but acknowledge dependency on him when we humbly supplicate the divine being we cast ourselves upon his power and mercy in seeking blessings from god we own that he is the author and fountain of every good and perfect gift 
that prayer brings glory to god is further seen from the fact that prayer calls faith into exercise and nothing from us is so honoring and pleasing to him as the confidence of our hearts in the second place prayer is appointed by god for our spiritual blessing as a means for our growth in grace when seeking to learn the design of prayer this should ever occupy us before we regard prayer as a means of obtaining the supply of our need prayer is designed by god for our humbling prayer real prayer is the coming into the presence of god and a sense of his awful majesty produces a realization of our nothingness and unworthiness again prayer is designed by god for the exercise of our faith faith is begotten in the word romans ten eight, but it is exercised in prayer hence we read of the prayer of faith again prayer calls love into action concerning the hypocrite the question is asked will he delight himself in the almighty will he always call upon god job twenty seven ten but they that love the lord cannot be long away from him for they delight in unburdening themselves to him not only does prayer call love into action but through the direct answers vouchsafed to our prayers our love to god is increased i love the lord because he hath heard my voice and supplications psalm one sixteen one again prayer is designed by god to teach us the value of the blessings we have sought from him and it causes us to rejoice the more when he has bestowed upon us that for which we supplicate him third prayer is appointed by god for our seeking from him the things which we are in need of but here a difficulty may present itself to those who have read carefully the previous chapters of this book if god has foreordained before the foundation of the world everything which happens in time what is the use of prayer if it is true that of him and through him and to him are all things romans eleven thirty then why pray ere replying directly to these queries it should be pointed out how that there is just as much reason to ask what is the use of me coming to god and telling him what he already knows wherein is the use of me spreading before him my need seeing he is already acquainted with it as there is to object what is the use of praying for anything when everything has been ordained beforehand by god prayer is not for the purpose of informing god as if he were ignorant the saviour expressly declared for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him matthew six eight but it is to acknowledge he does know what we are in need of prayer is not appointed for the furnishing of god with the knowledge of what we need but is designed as a confession to him of our sense of need in this as in everything god's thoughts are not as ours god requires that his gifts should be sought for he designs to be honored by our asking just as he is to be thanked by us after he has bestowed his blessing however the question still returns on us if god be the predestinator of everything that comes to pass and the regulator of all events then is not prayer a profitless exercise a sufficient answer to these questions that god bids us to pray pray without ceasing first thessalonians five seventeen and again men ought always to pray luke eighteen one and further scripture declares that a prayer of faith shall save the sick and the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much james five fifteen sixteen while the lord jesus christ our perfect example in all things was preeminently a man of prayer thus it is evident that prayer is neither meaningless nor valueless but still this does not remove the difficulty nor answer the question with which we started out 
What then is the relationship between God's sovereignty and Christian prayer? First of all, we would say with emphasis that prayer is not intended to change God's purpose, nor is it to move him to form fresh purposes. God has decreed that certain events shall come to pass through the means he has appointed for their accomplishment. God has elected certain ones to be saved, but he has also decreed that these shall be saved through the preaching of the gospel. The gospel, then, is one of the appointed means for the working out of the eternal counsel of the Lord, and prayer is another. God has decreed the means as well as the end, and among the means is prayer. Even the prayers of his people are included in his eternal decrees. Therefore, instead of prayers being in vain, they are among the means through which God exercises his decrees. If indeed all things happen by a blind chance or a fatal necessity, prayers in that case could be of no moral efficacy and of no use. But since they are regulated by the direction of divine wisdom, prayers have a place in the order of events, Haldane. That prayers for the execution of the very things decreed by God are not meaningless is clearly taught in the scriptures. Elijah knew that God was about to give rain. But that did not prevent him from at once betaking himself to prayer, James five seventeen through 18 Daniel understood by the writings of the prophets that the captivity was to last but seventy years. Yet when these seventy years were almost ended, we are told that he set his face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes, Daniel 9, verses 2 and 3. God told the prophet Jeremiah, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. But instead of adding, there is therefore no need for you to supplicate me for these things, he said, Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. Jeremiah twenty nine, eleven through 12 Here then is the design of prayer. Not that God's will may be altered, but that it may be accomplished in his own good time and way. It is because God has promised certain things that we can ask for them with the full assurance of faith. It is God's purpose that his will shall be brought about by his own appointed means, and that he may do his people good upon his own terms, and that is, by the means and terms of entreaty and supplication. Did not the Son of God know for certain that after his death and resurrection, he would be exalted by the Father? He assuredly did. Yet we find him asking for this very thing, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. John 17.5 Did not he know that none of his people could perish? Yet he besought the Father to keep them. John 17.11 Finally, it should be said that God's will is immutable and cannot be altered by our cryings. When the mind of God is not toward a people to do them good, it cannot be turned to them by the most fervent and importunate prayer of those who have the greatest interest in him. Then said the Lord unto me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. Jeremiah 15.1 the prayers of Moses to enter the promised land is a parallel case. Our views respecting prayer need to be revised and brought into harmony with the teaching of Scripture on the subject. The prevailing idea seems to be that I come to God and ask Him for something that I want, and that I expect Him to give me that which I have asked. 
but this is a most dishonoring and degrading conception the popular belief reduces god to a servant our servant doing our bidding performing our pleasure granting our desires no prayer is a coming to god telling him my need committing my way to the lord and leaving him to deal with it as seemeth him best this makes my will subject to his instead of as in the former case seeking to bring his will into subjection to mine no prayer is pleasing to god unless the spirit actuating it is not my will but thine be done when god bestows blessings upon a praying people it is not for the sake of their prayers as if he was inclined and turned by them but it is for his own sake and of his own sovereign will and pleasure should it be said to what purpose then is prayer it is answered this is the way and means god has appointed for the communication of the blessing of his goodness to his people for though he has purposed provided and promised them yet he will be sought unto to give them and it is a duty and privilege to ask when they are blessed with the spirit of prayer it forebodes well and looks as if god intended to bestow the good things asked which should be asked always with submission to the will of god saying not my will but thine be done john gill the distinction just noted above is of great practical importance for our peace of heart perhaps the one thing that exercises christians as much as anything else is that of unanswered prayers they have asked god for something so far as they are able to judge they have asked in faith believing they would receive that for which they had supplicated the lord and they have asked earnestly and repeatedly but the answer has not come the result is that in many cases faith in the efficacy of prayer becomes weakened until hope gives way to despair and the closet is altogether neglected is it not so now will it surprise our readers when we say that every real prayer of faith that has ever been offered to god has been answered yet we unhesitatingly affirm it but in saying this we must refer back to our definition of prayer let us repeat it prayer is a coming to god telling him my need or the needs of others committing my way unto the lord and then leaving him to deal with the case as seemeth him best this leaves god to answer the prayer in whatever way he sees fit and often his answer may be the very opposite of what would be most acceptable to the flesh yet if we have really left our needs in his hands it will be his answer nevertheless let us look at two examples in john eleven we read of the sickness of lazarus the lord loved him but he was absent from bethany the sisters sent a messenger unto the lord acquainting him of their brother's condition and note particularly how their appeal was worded lord behold he whom thou lovest is sick that was all they did not ask him to heal lazarus they did not request him to hasten at once to bethany they simply spread their need before him committed the case into his hands and left him to act as he deemed best and what was our lord's reply did he respond to their appeal and answer their mute request certainly he did though not perhaps in the way they had hoped he answered by abiding two days still in the same place where he was john eleven six and allowing lazarus to die but in this instance that was not all later he journeyed to bethany and raised lazarus from the dead our purpose in referring here to this case is to illustrate the proper attitude for the believer to take before god in the hour of need the next example will emphasize rather god's method of responding to his needy child 
Turn to 2 Corinthians 12. The Apostle Paul has been accorded an unheard of privilege. He has been transported into paradise. His ears had listened to and his eyes had gazed upon that which no other mortal had heard or seen this side of death. The wondrous revelation was more than the Apostle could endure. He was in danger of becoming puffed up by his extraordinary experience. Therefore, a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, was sent to buffet him lest he be exalted above measure, and the apostle spreads his need before the Lord. He thrice beseeches him that his thorn in the flesh should be removed. Was this prayer answered? Assuredly, though not in the manner he had desired, the thorn was not removed, but grace was given to bear it. The burden was not lifted, but strength was vouchsafed to carry it. Does someone object that it is our privilege to do more than spread our need before God? Are we reminded that God has, as it were, given us a blank check and invited us to fill it in? Is it said that the promises of God are all-inclusive and that we may ask God for what we will? If so, we must call attention to the fact that it is necessary to compare Scripture with Scripture if we are to learn the full mind of God on any subject, and that as this is done, we discover God has qualified the promises given to praying souls by saying, If ye ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. 1 John 5.14 Real prayer is communion with God, so that there will be common thoughts between his mind and ours. What is needed is for him to fill our hearts with his thoughts, and then his desires will become our desires, flowing back to him. Here then is the meeting place between God's sovereignty and Christian prayer. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us, and if we do not so ask, he does not hear us. As saith the Apostle James, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts or desires. 4, three. But did not the Lord Jesus tell his disciples, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you? John 16.23 He did. But this promise does not give praying souls carte blanche. The words of our Lord are in perfect accord with those of the Apostle John. If ye ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. What is it to ask in the name of Christ? Surely, it is very much more than a prayer formula, the mere concluding of our supplications with the words, in the name of Christ. To apply to God for anything in the name of Christ, it must needs be in keeping with what Christ is. To ask God in the name of Christ is as though Christ himself were the suppliant. We can only ask God for what Christ would ask. To ask in the name of Christ is therefore to set aside our own wills, accepting God's. Let us now amplify our definition of prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is not so much an act as it is an attitude, an attitude of dependency, dependency upon God. Prayer is a confession of creature weakness, yea, of helplessness. Prayer is the acknowledgement of our need and the spreading of it before God. We do not say that this is all there is to prayer. It is not, but it is the essential, the primary element in prayer. We freely admit that we are quite unable to give a complete definition of prayer within the compass of a brief sentence, or in any number of words. 
Prayer is both an attitude and an act, a human act, and yet there is a divine element in it too. And it is this which makes an exhaustive analysis impossible, as well as impious to attempt. But admitting this, we do insist again that prayer is fundamentally an attitude of dependency upon God. Therefore, prayer is the very opposite of dictating to God. Because prayer is an attitude of dependency, the one who really prays is submissive, submissive to the divine will, and submission to the divine will means that we are content for the Lord to supply our need according to the dictates of His own sovereign pleasure. And hence, it is that we say every prayer that is offered to God in this spirit is sure of meeting with an answer or response from Him. Here, then, is the reply to our opening question, and the scriptural solution to the seeming difficulty. Prayer is not the requesting of God to alter His purpose, or for Him to form a new one. Prayer is the taking of an attitude of dependency upon God, the spreading of our need before Him, the asking for those things which are in accordance with His will. And therefore, there is nothing whatever inconsistent between divine sovereignty and Christian prayer. In closing this chapter, we would utter a word of caution to safeguard the reader against drawing a false conclusion from what has been said. We have not here sought to epitomize the whole teaching of Scripture upon the subject of prayer, nor have we even attempted to discuss in general the problem of prayer. Instead, we have confined ourselves more or less to a consideration of the relationship between God's sovereignty and Christian prayer. What we have written is intended chiefly as a protest against much of the modern teaching, which so stresses the human element in prayer that the divine side is almost entirely lost sight of. In Jeremiah 10.23 we are told, It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps, cross-reference Proverbs 16.9, and yet in many of his prayers man's impulse presumes to direct the Lord as to his way, and as to what he ought to do, even implying that if only he had the direction of the affairs of the world and of the church, he would soon have things very different from what they are. This cannot be denied, for anyone with any spiritual discernment at all could not fail to detect this spirit in many of our modern prayer meetings where the flesh holds sway. How slow we all are to learn the lesson that the haughty creature needs to be brought down to his knees and humbled into the dust. And this is where the very act of prayer is intended to put us. But man, in his usual perversity, turns the footstool into a throne from whence he would fain direct the Almighty as to what he ought to do, giving the onlooker the impression that if God had half the compassion that those who pray have, all would quickly be right. Such is the arrogance of the old nature, even in the child of God. Our main purpose in this chapter has been to emphasize the need for submitting, in prayer, our wills to God's. But it must also be added that prayer is much more than a pious exercise, and far otherwise than mechanical performance. Prayer is, indeed, a divinely appointed means whereby we may obtain from God the things we ask, providing we ask for those things which are in accord with His will. These pages will have been penned in vain 
unless they lead both the writer and reader to cry with a deeper earnestness than heretofore, Lord, teach us to pray. Luke 11.1 1. End of chapter 9